Guns and Yoga podcast. My name is Wendy Hummel. Today we're going to do something new. At the end of 2021, we got the opportunity to visit Morgan Farms, a newly formed nonprofit located in Wellsville, Kansas. My husband and I drove there on an unseasonably warm day in early December. Jason Kleepak, the founder and owner, was hosting an open house and invited the Guns and Yoga podcast for a tour and an opportunity to speak with some of the first responders in attendance. As our two and a half hour drive slowly came to an end and we got closer to Morgan Farms, I started to feel more at ease. Less cars, more space, less people, more trees, less noise, and more quiet. So what is Morgan Farms? When we arrived, the tour was just starting. About 20 area first responders came from different parts of the state to learn more. Jason is a former first responder himself and served in the military. He and his wife, Shannon, have opened up their home and their hearts in service of those who serve. Jason and Shannon have created something really unique, a working farm on 40 acres. On the day of our visit, it was 70 degrees, which was welcome for a day outside, but ridiculously warm for Kansas in December. Jason talked to us about the animals on his working farm, some of who you're going to hear from in the background during some of the interviews. We met cows, horses, goats, and mules. There were chickens, too. For a girl who grew up in a fairly urban environment on the East Coast, I have really come to appreciate not just the beauty of the Kansas landscape and the healing and peace that the outdoors provide, but I find myself craving it. Human beings are supposed to be outside. Modern living, for most of us, precludes us from being outside as much as we should be. I can quote research, but step outside, go for a walk, look at the horizon, take a deep breath of fresh air, and notice how it makes you feel. So, what is Morgan Farms? It's an opportunity to experience the beauty, peace, and calm of the outdoors. Jason has created something really special. We're going to talk with him and his wife in next week's episode, but for him, it's all about the people the first responders and taking care of them in a unique way. Not really doing anything per se, but providing them the space and the environment to just be. Today, you're going to hear a mashup or what I call a mashup, a series of short interviews with the several first responders that we did on location. Don Dieterding, Jamie Davis, and Roxy Van Gundy, who have a combined nearly 70 years of experience under the headset as dispatchers. These ladies came from different parts of the state to visit Morgan Farms and speak with us today. They all work for different agencies, KCMO PD, Lee Summit Fire, and Lyon County. They're committed to supporting their peers and work with agencies such as NINA, the National Emergency Number Association, and MARC, the Mid-America Regional Council, to improve services and resources to dispatchers and other first responders. You're going to hear how valuable they think Morgan Farms will be as a resource, not just for them personally, but for their people. I also spoke with Lieutenant Dan Davis from the Belton Police Department and Matt Kelly, a captain with the Miami County Sheriff's Office. They're co-chairs for command level peer support with Mark. In these conversations, you're going to hear about critical incidents, the impact of secondary trauma, and the role that peer support can play in supporting dispatchers, law enforcement, and all first responders, and how a place like Morgan Farms can support first responders. I think that we can all agree that when someone calls 911, it's typically not their best day. In fact, some are desperate for help, dealing with life and death situations, and the person on the other end of the line is their only hope. It's really difficult to actually put into words what it's like to speak with or respond to calls in which tragedy, death, and violence are common on a regular basis. It takes its toll. We talk a lot about peer support, but what's important for people to remember is that all first responders aren't just first responders. They're mothers, they're fathers, daughters, sons, parents, sisters, brothers, and friends. They're human. And not only do they do a job in which they work critical incidents, exposing them to more secondary trauma on a regular basis, but they have their personal lives as well. Things that we all deal with, relationships, kids, aging parents, health issues, finances. So what is Morgan Farms? It can be both solitude and connection, 
connection with nature, with the animals, and with a peer in Jason that understands the job. Solitude isn't isolation or loneliness. It's a state of being alone so that you can find more self-acceptance and self-awareness and just be. If you want increased feelings of calmness, if you need to change the scenery, if you want to increase your endorphin levels, you just need to recharge, you want to be less irritable, possibly reduce some of those high cortisol levels, the stress hormone associated with the fight or flight nervous system activation, then you need to check out Morgan Farms. Next week, when we hear from Jason and Shannon, you're going to hear more about what Morgan Farms has to offer, ideas and things that they have in store, future programs. You're also going to hear about the intuitive nature of horses and how they can help us understand more about ourselves and how we communicate with others. If you want to learn more about Jason and about Morgan Farms, you can check them out on Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn, and be sure to listen next week for an interview with Jason and Shannon. I really hope you enjoy this episode and please, if you find value, share it, give us a review. And if you want to be notified of future episodes, you can subscribe on our Podbean website or email us at wendy at bluelineyoga.com. All right. So this is uh, the first time that Guns and Yoga has actually done an in-person podcast interview. And oh, so... Wow. I know, right? I'm so you, the first. You are the first. So today, um, we're actually, it's kind of a really special treat. It's a beautiful day. We're at Morgan Farms in Wellsville, Kansas, and I'm talking with Roxy Van Gundy. Yes. Thank you, Roxy, for taking the time to talk to me. Sure, of course. And so Roxy's told me she's a pro. She's been on a lot of podcasts, <laughs> so this is, this is going is to go really well. Uh, but the reason I wanted to spend just a few minutes talking to you today, Roxy, is because kind of there, it's kind of a unique group of people that are here today. We've got about 20 or 25 people that are at Morgan Farms, and, and here in a little bit I'm going to talk to the person who um, is the owner and founder. But if you could tell us just a little bit about your background and what your role is when it comes to wellness for um, the dispatch community. Sure. Um, well, I have been in public safety for, this is my 17th year. Um, I initially started in the center that I direct in Emporia, so kind of have come full circle. Um, I also worked in Alaska for several years for the Alaska State Troopers. Um, I was not a person who was lucky enough to come into dispatching in a time when health and wellness and mental health mm -hmm. was a conversation that we were having. Um, I grew up in the suck it up buttercup era. Mm -hmm. There's no crying in dispatch era. Turn your feelings off at the door. Um, so, you know, when I came into a place where I could change that narrative and change how other dispatchers were coming into this profession and how other people were getting treated, then I wanted to do that. Um, so I had the opportunity to become the co-chair of the Nina Wellness Committee, um, which is a huge honor. Um, and it's really amazing to be able to spearhead some documents and help for people all over the nation, not just in Kansas, um, and really set the standard for wellness in our profession. Um, I think that over the last couple of years, we've really turned a corner in addressing mental health and understanding that it's not just cops and EMS and firemen who have a hard time. It's us too. Um, and I want to be the first person to tell somebody that it's okay to struggle. Mm -hmm. I struggle every single day. And 17 years of hearing everyone's worst day. Um, wears on everybody because we're all human. So um, this is a really, really cool idea, I think, that will really take off with people because I think getting out somewhere where we're out of the center and out of our daily hustle and bustle, I think that's going to really be beneficial for all levels of public safety. So yeah, I'm really excited about this. Yes, I, I couldn't agree more. So just to back up really briefly, because you, sure. you, you mentioned Nina. Yeah. And for those listeners who may not know what Nina is, I'm assuming a lot will, but can you tell us what that is and kind of a little bit about the initiative that you're working on with wellness? Sure. So Nina stands for the National Emergency and Number mm -hmm. Association. Um, it's one of our professional organizations in 911. Um, Nina Nina really sets the standard for policy making um, and standards throughout the industry. Um, so they've taken really a forefront approach to wellness. Um, so we have a committee that is focused on a lot of different avenues in mental health and wellness. Um, 
we have developed a peer support document so folks can take that document and put peer support within their center um, just by utilizing the guidelines that have been created and it's something that fits all levels of centers one seaters 50 seaters so it's a great document that they've worked really hard on um, we're getting ready to set out a standard for um, the well-being and health of mental health or public safety professionals, um, which is a huge document on how we can um, work to protect our 911 personnel. Um, we have a group who is working on figuring out the best way to vet um, therapists, um, psychologists, EAPs, um, and giving our 911 leaders a how-to guide in picking the right person for their center and their staff. So a lot of really cool stuff happening. And I love that Nina wants to be the first one to get that out there to the people. So um, it, it's really, really cool to see the kind of ideas and, and the people coming together to help others because it's that's truly what it is. We're there to help others. Well, it must be kind of neat for you. Like you said, you've been doing this for a while. And when you first started out, like me, this we didn't talk about this. No, no. And especially, you're, you're right, unfortunately, especially not dispatchers. I, no. I think dispatchers were kind of forgotten about when we first started. We talk about doing critical incident debriefings and peer support. And, and I think it's wonderful that Nina is taking the initiative on, on wanting to be the leader in, in spreading wellness and peer support. And kudos to you for wanting to be a part of that. That's yeah. amazing because it's not easy work. It's not. And, and I think that something that's really important that Nina has recognized is that not every center is the same. Mm -hmm. So there are some centers that can afford to bring in professional help and bring in all of these extras to support their dispatchers. But there's also rural centers, a lot of rural centers that I work with as a state chapter president that don't have that kind of support. They don't right. have anyone that cares about them. If something happens in their jurisdiction, nobody asks them if they're okay. Mm -hmm. So Nina's creating this document to even take the frontline telecommunicator and give them an idea of how they can create some sort of support mechanism for themselves. Um, Nina also created a wellness continuum that's open to anyone. You don't even have to be a Nina member. Um, so that one seat dispatcher, when she's had that critical call, can go on nina.org and find some help, find some resources that maybe help her get to the next shift. Um, so I really just love Nina's approach to all sizes of centers. It's not just focused on one group. Right, because it's not a one-size-fits-all no, approach. Every no. agency has a culture, different size, you know, different locations and, right. and wherever they're at. And what I love about what you're saying is it sounds like those resources could be really valuable for other public safety also, not agreed. just dispatch. Oh, agreed. Absolutely. And, and what I love, too, about the resource continuum um, is that it changes constantly. So we have things coming in all the time where they're getting vetted, uh, stories, podcasts. Um, how, how do you pack good lunches? What are some exercises you can do on shift? Um, it's just chocked full of information that's always changing. And I think that could help anyone. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. And let me ask you this, because I want to respect your time, and we could probably talk for another 20 minutes or <laughs> sure, so. Sure, sure. But have you, can you think of an example, um, and I don't mean to put you on the spot, of, of how peer support and wellness and, and this initiative has helped locally, maybe in your agency or someone, a story or a situation that you're aware of personally? Well, you know, I, I, I think in my own center, is, it's something that I've noticed. We have somewhat of a peer support group with each other. Mm -hmm. Um, it, we took a call a couple of months back, actually I took this call, um, of three teenagers that went off a roadway into a creek and they died um, in their car. And um, that was really hard. Yeah. They were 13, 15, and 16. Mm. And they hadn't even started their life yet. And what I love about where we've come with peer support and where we've come with talking about mental health is that my staff felt okay enough to say, boss, are you, are you good? Do you need a hug? What can we do? How can we support you? So mm -hmm. I love that, you know, Nina is showing people and, and even other organizations are showing people that you can support your coworkers, you can support your boss, you can support everyone. And we all have to do it together. 
because yeah. that's the only way we're going to keep going in this profession. So I think just for us, that was one recent example of, of how just understanding peer support and understanding how to help each other has really benefited my center. So Yeah, that's, that's a really great story. Thank you. Because I, I don't think people understand. And when I say people, I mean the people that don't do this work. Yeah. I don't think they really truly understand how difficult this work is. I mean, yes, the people that get into it, we choose sure. this profession, but we're sure. also human beings. Right. And, um, you know, dealing with people's worst day every day is, is not easy work. Well, and I think that you get taught sometimes that you're not supposed to have a human heart. Mm. Like the human heart isn't wired up to be cold and unfeeling. Right. It just isn't. And, you know, that night I remember walking out and going to get something to eat after shift and I saw hearses going out of town. Mm. Like, even 17 years into the job, you know, I, I see so many veterans that are like, oh, I am fine, I, calls don't affect me. Even 17 years into the job, seeing those hearses go and pick up those kids and knowing that's where they were going, like I'm sitting in the drive-through bawling and this poor woman at <laughs> McDonald's is like, are you okay? But. Um, you know, I think that people don't understand, mm -hmm. and it, and I think that some of us old timers have really got to keep working on peeling back the onion, yeah. and and showing that, you know, the younger generation that it's okay to have feelings, and right. and we do have feelings too, and and maybe acknowledging some of that trauma that we've been taught to bury, right? So, well. Kudos again for you for doing the work that you're doing. And I appreciate you sharing that story with sure. us. Sure. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Welcome, Dawn. I, I decided that I wasn't going to say your last name because I didn't want to butcher it. Can you can you tell everybody your, your last name for us? Dawn Dieterding. Okay. Thanks, Dawn. You're welcome. Um, so today, um, kind of continuing on with the conversation with a few people that are out here at Morgan Farms. Um, you are here because you're a, you've been a dispatcher for quite some time in Kansas City, Missouri. Correct. And um, we're here just visiting the property, and we're going to talk to the owner a little bit about um, his nonprofit. But can you tell everybody who's listening a little bit about your background and what your position is with um, with Mark as the co-chair of the 911 Roving Peer Support Team and just a little bit about what motivated you to, to kind of want to help out with this kind of stuff. Sure. Um, I've actually been on the Kansas City, Missouri Police Department for 28 years. Wow. I have spent 27, well, it'll be 28 years in February, so I've spent 27 years in dispatch. Um, that's start. quite an accomplishment, by the way. Thank you. <laughs> it really is. That's, that's a long time. I can retire in three years. All right. Um, I started out as a 911 call taker and did that for a couple of years and then I went to dispatch and I have been a supervisor now for about 15 years. Okay. Um, when Pam first started talking about the Mark 911 roving peer support team, I was in the initial meeting that she had about that and kind of what her vision was. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I'm in. Nope, you know, I didn't even have to think about it. How long ago was that when you guys first started talking about it? Um, I would probably five, six years ago maybe. Okay. I don't remember exactly, but it's been a few years. And we, I started out with her doing the peer sport. And of course I wasn't really sure what any of that what it meant, mm -hmm, you know, but right. she kind of explained to me, you know, what it was. I know that she was previously a dispatcher for our agency as well as in California. And she realizes what the dispatchers, what their job entails and what they go through and how they don't get any closure. And I, for the longest time, you know, when you take a 911 call, you never know what you're going to get, first of all. So you could get somebody just, you know, it could be there's a fire along the side of the road, or it could be, you know, my child has stopped breathing. Right. So you just never know what you're going to get. And in doing it for as long as I did, um, 
you take a call and then you just move right on to the next one. You don't get a chance to take a break from it. You don't usually know what happens mm -hmm. uh, after the call is complete. So you're just always wondering. And you always kind of envision what is going on at the scene, which I've found out is what we envision is usually worse than what is actually going on. Right. Um, so then, you know, being a dispatcher, I've had, I've heard officers uh, being shot at. I've had officers being drugged down the highway by drunk drivers. Um, just various things. Mm -hmm. And once again, I'm sitting at a desk, so there's not really a lot I can do for them except for make sure that they get the help that they need from the other officers. Right. I'm just kind of stuck. So it's, it's a very stressful job. It's uh, very demanding, um, a lot of hours. For whatever reason, dispatchers around the country, agencies seem to be shorthanded. So there's always a lot of overtime. Um, it starts to feel like you spend more time at work than you do at home with your own family. And it starts to take a toll eventually. I didn't realize until I'd been on about 20 years how much of a toll that actually took. I would kind of forgetting about some of the calls that I'd taken. You know, I took two, two parents that rolled over on their kids in the middle of the night and their babies died, two in the same night. And I had forgotten all about that. Well, all of a sudden something happened and it triggered a lot of things that I had put back in my mind that I hadn't thought about in a very long time. And when I got to talking, you know, Pam and I were talking about it when she wanted to start the peer support team. And she's like, who did dispatchers talk to? What, what did dispatchers do? We didn't have anybody. You know, we could talk to each other. Well, hence the peer support, you know, that's where the peer support program comes into play. So having this peer support program, it's dispatchers from all over Kansas and Missouri, and we, 911 call takers and dispatchers, that's who we deal with because we know what they're going through and right. we know we know how they feel about things. So. so until you guys came together and decided that something needed to change and you needed to start peer support, I assume that much like with law enforcement, because that's my background, you guys didn't have any training on this kind of stuff when you started. We, well, had, we had nothing. Yeah. And didn't even know it, it was a thing. Right. I, we didn't even know it existed or yeah. what kind of training we would need or sure. anything like that. Yeah. And, and Roxy used the term, I say it a lot, the, the gal that I just interviewed, the suck it up buttercup generation. Like that's what we all, where we all came from. It's Absolutely. just part of what we signed up for, which is actually not what we signed up for. We didn't know what we signed up for. Yeah. That's what it is. <laughs> <laughs> and we didn't, we weren't given the tools to, to handle it properly either. Correct. Yeah. Well, we have those tools now. We have Good. a lot of resources um, that we can give dispatchers and Morgan Farms, for instance. Um, it's been amazing out here today, just being in the country and watching the animals and not being in the office for one thing. Right. It, yeah, it's been... It's been very enjoyable, very relaxing. How do you see um, a, you know, a program like this here at Morgan Farms, how do you see this being beneficial to the people that you work with? One, we work for a big agency mm -hmm. in a big city and we are very, very busy. And most of the people who work with me, we live in Kansas City. Right. So it's the hustle and bustle of the big city all the time and that kind of thing. Um, when we got out here today, I was like, first of all, just seeing the log cabin when we drove in, I was like, this is where I need to be. Mm -hmm. This is absolutely where I need sure. to be. Sure, yeah. And then the pond down there and, you know, all the animals and stuff. It's amazing just getting away for a couple of hours, the relief that you feel and you know, you can kind of reset and restart. Yeah. And now I'm probably gonna have to go home and take a nap or something because I'm so relaxed. <laughs> That's not a bad thing, you probably yeah. need it. 
yeah, it's um, it's definitely going to be beneficial to people because we need a place to get away. Right. And with him being prior law enforcement, he understands. Yeah. You know what the law enforcement or first responders in general um, what they go through, and there's no pressure here. You can, you know, if you want to walk down and there's a hammock down by the pond or, you know, if you just want to go down there and chill, take a lawn chair with you, whatever, listen to the animals, yeah. <laughs> watch, <laughs> watch the animals run around in that crazy. It's, it's just, it's fun and it's relaxing. And I think it's going to, I think there's going to be a lot of people find it beneficial. So, and I, I couldn't agree more. If you could say one thing to everybody listening, because I, I know we don't have a lot of time, but if you could say one thing about your job and the job that dispatchers do for people who don't understand what your job entails, what would it be and what would it be about the importance of a program like this and, and peer support? Um, well, the main thing about our job is that we don't get closure and we do go from one situation to the next without getting a break in between and getting time to decompress and you know that kind of thing you know we may work a 12 or a 16 hour shift and get up from the console to refill our water bottle and or go to the restroom or something and then you're literally non-stop right you know for 12 or 16 hours so having a place to get away um just from all the business and not have to think about work and just being out in nature it's mm -hmm. it's huge and i was i was talking to jason the owner and we kind of talked about the relationship that you have to build with the animals out here and you have to trust each other and we have some trust issues being first responders you know okay. <laughs> stuff like that <laughs> so it's it's just very different than the normal life that we lead right well i appreciate your time and i appreciate all of your years of service and what you're doing for your fellow dispatchers i appreciate that thank you very much thank you all right welcome jamie thank you so jamie davis right yes. we we quickly met and chatted before i hit record um but again we're out here at morgan farms this awesome place that's geared towards helping all first responders uh, in so many different ways, and I've talked to a few of you know your colleagues, your coworkers about mm -hmm. this place, and um, just kind of want to get a little bit of a background on you and what led you to want to be involved in peer support and wellness for fellow dispatchers. Right. So could you tell everybody where you work and kind of what your role is with all this? Sure. Um, I have dispatched for Lee Summit Missouri Fire Department for almost 22 years now, mm -hmm. and I decided to joined the peer support program with Mid-America Regional Council. After having been in the business for as long as I have, there are some calls that I handled early on that I really could have used a program like this. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, there was still a huge stigma with mental health right. and PTSD. And working in a primarily male department, I felt I did not feel welcome despite the invite to participate in critical incident stress debriefings mm -hmm. and kind of muddled through with coworkers with other dispatchers. So when you say you work in a primarily male dominated field, do you mean with your other dispatchers? No, or? no okay. with our department. Most, gotcha. most of our operations personnel are male mm -hmm. um, and I just didn't feel comfortable. Okay. I felt like I need to be strong, and that's not anything that anybody put on me. That right. was what I put on myself. Yeah, I, I don't. I completely can relate to what you're saying because I have a law enforcement background, and I'm a female in law enforcement. And still, there's only 12 to 14 percent of law enforcement that are women, and yes. so I can relate to what you're saying. Yeah. Makes it a lot harder. I think we to, make it harder on ourselves sometimes than we need it to be, but that's. I think we do. Sometimes how we are. Yes, even when the invite is extended. Yeah, yeah. We want to prove that we're tough. We can handle this just like the men can. And right. No, I, I completely understand. 
So I figured if I have this opportunity to help other dispatchers mm -hmm. who have taken calls that had a negative impact on them, if I can help them get past that, or if there's anything else that they're dealing with that they just need somebody unbiased outside of the situation to listen to, if, if that's all I can do to help, then I consider it a, a success. Yeah, yeah. And so at your agency in particular, mm -hmm. how have you seen, and you, you know, you can share whatever you, you want, whether it be an incident, like a story or a call, but how have you seen the impact of peer support and talking about these things, being more open and vulnerable? How have you seen a, an impact? Or so I have personally experienced Good. the impact. Um, it was within the last two years, I took a call that involved multiple fatalities mm -hmm. and it, it affected everybody negatively um, because I was invited to participate in the critical incident stress debriefing yeah. with the responders. It, it made a huge impact on me because I was able to hear their perspective and they actually said so much that told me that there is nothing I could have done differently yeah. to have changed the outcome. Yeah. And that, that's a, as a dispatcher, that's a question we always have in the back of our mind is, what could I have done differently? Right. What did I do wrong? Did I miss something? Did I not hear something? And the paramedics, the firefighters that responded actually, without knowing that that's what I was struggling with, they put my mind at ease right. by telling me that, no, we got there and there is, they were gone on impact. Well, I'm really glad to hear you say that because there's different opinions mm -hmm. on mixing, yes, uh, you know, dispatch, fire, law enforcement, and debriefings. And at the agency I work with, I coordinate a lot of the debriefings and lead a lot of them. And we definitely incorporate everybody that's involved in the call. And I have heard the same feedback from the dispatchers yeah. that have attended. And then I've heard other people say that they don't do it intentionally because they don't think it's a good idea to mix. Right. I, I'm of the opinion, that's why I'm glad to hear you yes. kind of reinforce that, that it's very valuable because we often, I think we oftentimes get so pigeonholed in what we mm -hmm. know and it's helpful, especially like you said, and this is just a pattern, I keep hearing this over and over again with, with all of the dispatchers I'm talking to is closure. Yes. And just knowing that um, from another peer, mm -hmm. that just kind of that closure of there was nothing that you could do. Right. And how meaningful that is. Right. I think the most meaningful part of it was the fact that they didn't know that I was struggling with that because I hadn't told them. Yeah. I hadn't said anything. Right. None of them had worked as a dispatcher before. And the fact that they just openly shared that, I it, it was a huge moment for me. Right, right. Well, so let's shift gears just a little bit. So when we talk about wellness and peer support, there's it's not a one-size-fits-all approach, right? Yeah, and right. so we're out here today at Morgan Farms, and it's this wonderful uh, new program that Jason Klepak and his yes. wife are starting, and I can't wait to talk to them. But could you tell me a little bit about, we're, we're sitting outside and we're yes. on the property. Can you tell everybody who's listening just a little bit about what you saw today and how you think it can be valuable for the people you work with? I think it can be valuable for the fact that it, it gives you a chance to step outside of yourself. Mm -hmm. And when we first got here and Jason was talking to us about the mules, about different different things to know about them, yeah. their behavior, like a lot of people, I don't have experience with mules, so it was all new information yeah, for me. me but, too. but it was important, but it also kind of gave me a chance to, it, you know, it's December now and everybody's got all the holiday pre-holiday stress going on, mm -hmm. I didn't have to think about any of that right. because I'm busy focusing on what he's saying, learning about the mules and how to watch their behavior. And right. I think if somebody is going through or dealing with something that's something especially traumatic, I think this kind of gives them a chance to step outside of that and just mm -hmm. kind of, kind of let it go. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, fresh air does everybody good. Right. And these beautiful animals definitely doesn't hurt. Right. How do you see maybe incorporating um, this place with some of the things that you do at your agency? So while we were out on our walk on the property and Jason talking about his plans going forward, I, I actually had some people in mind that mm -hmm. I thought could really benefit from, from coming out here and, and experiencing this. And... I, th I think it's going to help a lot of people. Yeah, I, I agree. And the fact that it's outside of the box, that's even better. Right, 
because there's still that stigma with mental health, with mental health professionals, and there's no need for it. But this, there's, there's no stigma with this. Right, you're just out it's, here hanging out with the animals mm -hmm. and with Jason. Yeah, I mean, great time. <laughs> yeah. Well, I really appreciate your time. Um, just one last thing. Yes. For what's important to me, what's really come to light lately, is that there's so many people that are outside of our profession. I mean, this information is geared towards people that are first responders to let them know that this is a resource <laughs> and what we're doing in the world of public safety for, for our people. But I think it's important for people who aren't in public safety to really understand the nature of the kind of work that we do. Mm -hmm. So if you had to, to tell somebody one thing that had no idea about your job, what would it be about the resources that, that first responders or dispatchers need? I think the most important thing would be for them to know that because of the increasingly stressful mm -hmm. incidents that we're exposed to, whether we're in the field or in dispatch, the things that are going to help us are not necessarily the things that would help with a, a troubled teen, mm -hmm. right. for example. Um, because everything is so much elevated with the stress that we deal with, right. the treatment's got to be a little different. Right. Cultural competence, it yes. sounds like well, that's Definitely. what you're talking about. Yeah. Great. Yeah. Well, thank you for your time, Jamie. I really thank appreciate you. it. Thank you for talking to me. Yes. All right, well now I'm getting ready to talk with, I'm uh, gonna do a tag team approach here. Uh, Dan Davis, he's a Lieutenant with the Belton, Missouri Police Department, and Matt Kelly, Captain at Miami County Sheriff's Office. Welcome. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Yeah, so we are out at Morgan Farms, a beautiful 40-acre spread um, nonprofit organization that's newly formed or in the works, geared towards helping first responders. So um, if you could, we, we just did a tour about an hour or so ago, about 20 of us, and both of you are members of command level peer support is my understanding. Yes, ma'am. And so I just, I wanna talk to you each a little bit about your careers, your background, what led you to wanna be involved with, with peer support, and then we'll talk a little bit about maybe how you see this place fitting in and helping support first responders. So really whoever wants to go first can go first. No, apparently from where the mic's being positioned, it's <laughs> gonna be me. Uh, I think that decision has been made. So um, I've been in law enforcement and it's coming up on 28 years in okay. January. Uh, fortunately or unfortunately, uh, I've had been exposed to several critical incidents in my career. Mm -hmm. um, the reason that I became involved with peer support was uh, after my most recent shooting in 2016, mm -hmm. um, I ended up being off work for 99 days oh, while wow. I dealt with that. Mm -hmm. And one of the things I realized while working through that is not only uh, was having issues dealing with a critical incident, not a career killer, uh, but that you could come back. And at the time my rank was sergeant and I wanted to come back and come back stronger as an example to those working for me. Cause I was brought up in a system where you didn't tell anybody if you were struggling with something. Yeah. It was it was your dark secret. And I wanted to come back uh, as an example that you don't have to hide it. You can get help and your career can move forward. Not only was I able to do that, I was also able to come back and move up in rank after the fact. So now I have, you know, everybody from 25-year veterans down to a first-year officer they're not afraid to tell me if they're struggling with something because I'm in no position to judge anybody and they know I'm going to support them because I've been there, done that. And that, I mean, that speaks volumes because you being willing to be vulnerable and talk about what you went through, um, there's nothing that can replace that. No, and, and it was something, like I said, I, I had kept it as my deep, dark secret, but yeah. when you're off work for 99 days, right. um, yeah, the secret's out. Sure. So you can either let it identify you and consume you, or you can fight through it and turn it turn it toward, toward the better. And that's what I chose to do with it. So before 2016, this incident that you're referencing, did your agency or was there any peer support or any resources available to you prior, or is this all something that you were aware of after your incident? Um, it was, I was aware of it, but I was honestly afraid to, mm -hmm. um, 
seek any help with anything until, like I said, I was forced in that situation. They sent me for a fit for duty evaluation after that shooting. And um, when the uh, doctor was asking me about the incident, next thing I know, I realized I was screaming the details at him. And the whole time he's writing not fit for duty. Mm. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I knew the resources were there, but I uh, was not willing to to seek any help because I was afraid it was going to be a career ender. So I just kept it in. Well, after that most that particular incident, it was like somebody shook up the bottle of champagne and popped the top. There was no hiding it anymore. Right. Um, so it's like, okay, now we have to deal with it, and everybody knows, so own it and move forward. So after finding your way back to work after your, your time off, how long after that did you find command level peer support? Uh, I first found out about that in the summer of 19. Mm -hmm. uh, another friend of mine that's a lieutenant in another agency had been through and recommended me to go through the program, and I went through in December of 19. Okay. And that's, I'm assuming, how maybe you two met. Um, now we're, I'm kind of switching over to your partner here, um, <laughs> Matt Kelly. Can you tell us a little bit about how you guys met, or is it, was it through command level peer support, or did you know each other beforehand? No, I, I didn't know Dan prior to um, getting into the command level peer support. Um, so how it occurred for me is I, my sheriff had gone through the command level peer support. He was okay. uh, in the first command level peer support uh, group. And so after he completed it, he highly recommended it to mm -hmm. um, our undersheriff and myself. And so the undersheriff and I went through the, the course together. And um, prior to peer support group that you know command level peer support i've never really had any training or anything like that we've been in some critical incidents involving the death of children and stuff yeah. like that but um, never really had an outlet to it i recall one time going in and speaking with a psychiatrist after it as a debrief mm -hmm. and that's the only thing that we've ever done before um, never really had anybody in house or another agency that we could reach out to to speak with so when i heard about this program and with my experiences going through it and knowing that, you know, they're inevitable, that critical incidents are always going to be there, mm -hmm. that I, I was definitely interested in attending this program. And so um, after attending the program, um, you know, shortly after that, I was able to meet with Pam and um, she asked if I would be on the, the co-chair. Mm -hmm. And um, of course it was kind of, one of those things where I was like, I, I don't know if I'm the right person for it. There's probably better qualified people out there, you know, that have experienced more than me that could that could be there more. And, um, you know, after talking with Pam and, and figuring out that uh, maybe it would be a good position for me, I accepted it. And that's how I met Dan. So Okay, because you, you both serve on the board of Mark, right? Yeah, on the command level peer support team. Right, yeah. okay. And so what, what has that been like? as far as being on the board and being able to help kind of promote command level peer, peer support throughout the state? Well, for me, you know, it, what, what it did for me is it's, it allowed me to see a different side of the, mm -hmm. the command level peer support team. You know, we, for, it's one thing to go out there and, and, and be there in those programs, but it's another thing to promote it, to, to be there, to explain it to everybody that, um, you know, other commanders to go to those those debriefs and explain who we are and what, what the program's about and not just have another command level peer support member there, letting them understand everything. And so being able to support that, because obviously being on this, um, being as a co-chair, you know, I 100% support this program and want it to be very successful and want to help other commanders out there. And, you know, so being able to promote it and, and do things like here at Morgan Farms is mm -hmm. is a little bit different than just going to these debriefs each time. Right, and what I think is really important, and I know I'm you guys know this because you're, you're living it, but command level peer support adds a whole other layer because as commanders, you've got your careers and everything that you've dealt with prior to becoming commanders, and then you have the added stress and pressure of being commanders and taking care of your people and making sure that they're okay. And I, I think a lot of times people forget that there's a little bit more to what, what people do at the higher up you get in an organization. And so I think it's really valuable to have people like you that are peer support trained to support other people across the state. And I know that's probably the intention of, of exactly. your program. You know, when these critical incidents happen, 
you have a whole group of men and women mm-hmm. looking for guidance and where they're going to look, they're looking at the command staff. Yeah. Well, where does the command staff look? So that's exactly right. the premise behind this. We, you know, we've got to be here for each other. Uh, you just hit the nail on the head. By the time somebody reaches a level of command in, in their agency, whether it's fire, EMS, or police, you're not talking about a rookie here. You're talking mm-hmm. with somebody about somebody with 15, 25, 30 years under their belt of stuff that they've dealt with. And now they have this added responsibility and this sense of responsibility for those that they're in command for. So if something happens to one of those people, there's a sense of responsibility there. Mm-hmm. You know, what could I have done different as a commander? What can my organization do? To, how could we have prevented this? And that's a lot of added weight on top of the, the stress of the incident itself. On top of that, there's that sense of responsibility that, that people in command staff feel. So, and with peer support, the, the peer support for the rank and file does an amazing job, but one of the things about that is if a commander is in that room during, say, a debriefing, a lot of the rank and file, they're not going to be willing to open up in front right. of the commander, and commanders aren't going to be willing to open up in front of the rank and file, so we've got each other, and until this, there was nothing for us, Right. so it, it fits in perfectly, and you know the men and women that work for me, they know my involvement in command-level peer support. So when I have an officer that needs something, I'm like, look, you know I've got the resources. You don't have to explain to me what's going on. Do I need to make a call for you? Okay, here's the resource. And I'm not going to ask you anything else. You want to talk? Yeah, I'll listen, but I'm not going to pry. Right. And, and they get that, and it helps them open up. And, you know, if we can save a career or, you know, not to sound dramatic, but maybe even save a life, no, I don't think you're sounding dramatic at no. all by saying that. Well, I mean, look at the suicide rates mm-hmm. among first responders. Yeah. That's how important this is. And it's not just the rank and file that this is happening to. Right. You know, there was, I think, a year and a half ago, there were several stories. There was a couple of different Chicago police commanders, mm-hmm. uh, upper-level commanders, that committed suicide on the job. Right. So we're not immune. How do you see, either one of you can answer first, a program like what, Jason Kleepak and his wife are trying to start at Morgan Forms. How do you see this benefiting, and you know, people that are first responders, not just law enforcement? And how do you guys see this maybe fitting in with, at your agency specifically? Well, for me, this is just an outlet to get away from all the stressors that yeah. we, we deal with day in, day out at work. You know, you can come out here, you can work cattle, you can ride a horse, you can cut a tree, you can build a teepee, I mean, that they're building right now. So there's a, there's so many things out here that can just get your mind away from something. You can spend a day, you can spend a weekend out here. Um, and so there's just it's just a way to, to let your mind relax yeah. and get away from all the stressors that we deal with every day. So do you see... Um having some people that your agency coming out here in the future and how that could work into to, to peer support. Yeah, so I've already talked to Jason about doing roll call briefings out here. Oh, great. Um, once we get that all built up out there, um, where that concrete was built up, we're going to build a building up in there and, and use it as, uh, we're going to use it for our uh, roll calls. So just whoever's on duty coming out there and being able to, to talk and um, talk about what happened to the shift prior and what is expected that shift and get you away from the office and not being out there and allowing them to just kind of have a different mindset. I mean, we, we patrol this, we work this already, mm-hmm. um, but instead of just sitting in the office and doing it and that, it just gives you a different setting. Yeah. How amazing would that be for eight, all agencies could have a place like this to be able to go do squad or roll call out? Yeah. yeah. To me, I think it's all about just slowing it down. Yeah. Um, people don't call us to tell us what a great day they're having. They call us mm-hmm. on their worst day. So no matter how big your agency is, you know, if it's a town of 2,000 people and you've got two full-time cops or if you're working in the Kansas City Metro, you know, you're surrounded by chaos. There's not a thing chaotic about this out here. No. This gives you a chance to literally slow down, slow your thinking down, slow your mind down, take it in, take a breath. Mm-hmm. I think that's the key to it in my opinion. And, and at your agency, how do you see uh, utilizing Morgan Farms? For us, this may be more um, an organized like team building or some one-offs if I have some officers that need a little bit of time to slow down. 
I'm over an hour away. Uh, unfortunately, I mm-hmm. don't think my chief would support having shift briefing an hour away from my jurisdiction. <laughs> oh, come on. I'd be cool with it, but um, I don't know that Chief Lyons would be, but, you know, maybe I have to twist his arm a little bit. But, yeah, for us, it, it may be more, you know, something where we'd have to plan ahead, uh, whether it be, you know, a shift that's experiencing something and taking some time out here on, on the weekend, or if we have just an officer that's needs a minute, yeah, you know things along those lines. We can definitely use this resource maybe just not quite as easily as the jurisdiction that's already here. Yeah, I'm (laughs) about two and a half hours away, so I can relate. So one one last thing, if you don't mind touching upon this, because I'm thinking about people who might be listening to this podcast. I mean, most of the people who listen to it are first responders or family members or supporters, Um, but someone who's not a first responder, somebody who really doesn't understand the nature of what we do day in and day out, um, what do you have to say to them about a place like this and how important it is to first responder mental health? Well, I think everybody has their own trauma that they deal with, mm-hmm. um, regardless whether they're first responder yeah. or not. And everybody has their own way, own outlet to deal with that trauma or those stressors. Um, you know, my wife isn't in law enforcement. She's not a first responder. But I see she comes home from work and tells me about her stressors that mm-hmm affect her just like the stressors that I have at work affect me. And so she has her outlets and this is just an outlet for first responders to come out here. It's a way for us to get away from all the chaos that we deal with day in and day out. Just like anybody else has a way to, they go boating or they go, whatever they do, it's just one, one outlet for us. It's not the only outlet. It is right. just one of the outlets that we can utilize here. It's just a tool on our tool belt. Yeah. Okay, great. How about you? You know, for, for those that aren't in this line of work that may be listening, you know, when you pick up that phone and you need help, you're going to want the men, men and women from whether it's fire, EMS, or police that are coming to help you to be ready. Mm-hmm. Um, part of that, they have to be physically ready, but God knows they have to be mentally ready. Right. So any program that can help them be more prepared and better adjusted and ready to deal with the things that we deal with, ready to help you, the public should absolutely support that yeah. and understand that, you know, it's it's just as important that our our men and women that in the first responder world are just as mentally healthy as they are physically healthy. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, thank you both for everything that you do, like both at your agencies and your careers and what you're doing for your people and just for commanders and and all your work. So I appreciate your time. Thank you much. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoy the conversations that I had with everyone out at Morgan Farms. I really had such a good time talking with everyone and spending the day out there. Remember that next week I'm going to be talking with Jason and his wife, Shannon. So make sure to tune in for that episode. And you can contact Jason on LinkedIn and find out more about Morgan Farms on Facebook or Instagram. If you find value in this episode, I encourage you to share it with somebody, give us a review, or if you want to be notified of future episodes, you can subscribe on the Podbean website or contact us directly at wendy at blueline yoga.com. I'm stuck here.